Habakkuk chapter 2 tonight. Uh, continue to make our way through the book of Habakkuk. We'll finish chapter 2 this evening. Um, for those of you keeping score, this is, again, moving much quicker than we did through the book of Hosea. Uh, so trying to, over the course of time, and some of you will be here longer than others, knock out just different minor prophets. I think they're they're helpful for us as we think about life, and I think they get a bad rap. I think they're not covered. I think they're forgotten about, and yet they're packed full of wisdom and instruction for us, and that shouldn't surprise us if we truly believe that every word that is written in God's word is literally breathed out by him for us. So Habakkuk chapter 2 will begin in verse Number five, if you would stand as we pay honor to the reading of God's word tonight. I am going to, for the sake of our time, read just verses five through eight to open, and then we'll make our way uh, through the rest of the passage tonight. Habakkuk chapter two, beginning in verse five. This is God's word to his people. Indeed. Because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? To him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will not will they not awaken who oppose you, and you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you, because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. And this is God's word to his people, and we're thankful for the opportunity we have to read it and study it together. Let's go to the Lord once more in prayer tonight. Father, we do thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the promises of your word are true, that your word is active, it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces the soul asunder. So we do ask tonight that our hearts would be ready to receive your word. We, we ask, according to your word, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to believe, and be the type of Christ followers that submit when your word tells us we need to change. And then, Father, for those who might be sitting here tonight who do not know you, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of your word, they would repent of their sins and believe and trust in you for salvation. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, We live in a society and a culture that tells us that everything around us should be fair, all the while knowing that if there is one certainty in life, it is that life is not fair. I'm going to say this again. We live in a culture and society that tells us that everything around us should be fair, all the while knowing that if there is one certainty in life, It is that life is not fair. Now, this would be a great moment as someone who enjoys sports to go into a a 
a rant or a diatribe about the every kid gets a trophy culture that we live in. But I'm not going to do that. Or that everybody gets a participation ribbon at school. But I'm going to leave that alone. Because here's the bottom line. We all have come to a realization in our life that, and it, and it happens at different points, that life is not fair. We, we all come to that realization at some point in our life. In fact, a lot of times, um, and, and we're getting ready to, in the next few weeks, we'll welcome in a brand new class of freshmen uh, to college into our humble little college ministry and I will remind them, and I, you've heard me say this often, your life is not exponentially hard when the biggest decision you've had to make up to this point is where or who you're going to go to prom with. College has an unwavering and unceasing way of knocking you around. And I don't mean just going to college, because I know that not everybody in here goes to college. I'm talking about the age bracket of 18 to 25. You never will make the same amount of major life decisions that you will in those seven years for the rest of your life. In these seven years, you will make more major life decisions than you will at any other point in one specific time setting. And you've potentially been brought up to believe that because we live in America and because America is exceptional and because of the culture and society that we live in, that life is fair and you will get a fair shake. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case. And I think once you turn 18, if you haven't already figured out that life is not fair, you figure out pretty quickly that it is not. But for the most part, people don't have to wait until... They turn 18 to figure out that life is not fair. I mean, we look around at our friends. I mean, life is not fair. I can distinctly remember this. Uh, multiple maybe might be in the room. Uh, I distinctly remember uh, interning for our former student pastor, Jared Bumpers. The first summer we ever did, we went on a mission trip, took students to Glorieta, New Mexico. We rode on a shuttle bus for an ungodly amount of time with high schoolers, and I remember getting there, and they split us into groups, and we went off, and we did these sites, and at one of the sites we went to, there was a student who was in our group that, I kid you not, was six foot nine. We said, this would be a great opportunity to go over to the basketball hoop and begin a pickup game, and maybe some of the local kids will come, and I'm thinking, this kid is six foot nine. I would have given my left arm to be that tall because I figured I could still dominate in the NBA with a right arm. And we went over to that, and we tossed him a basketball. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share to the best of my ability and my remembrance, and I know I'll be corrected if I get this wrong later, but I'm pretty sure after he shot the basketball, I remember looking to that student and saying, you look like a giraffe who's having a seizure. And everybody kind of paused because you're not, I guess, not supposed to say that. And he died laughing. He had no athletic talent whatsoever. And I remember thinking, if you don't know that life's not fair, giving some kid six foot nine who can't barely walk across the floor without tripping over himself that amount of height, that is just ridiculously unfair. I remember thinking, 
God certainly has a sense of humor in giving this child that much height. He's like, I never played basketball in my life. I'm thinking, yeah, you're not fooling anybody out here now. Just next time we go, just stand over there and we'll pretend like you're our secret weapon. And if they just get out of line, we'll bring you in. Just stand there and look intimidating. We don't have to wait very long to figure out that life's not fair, that um, we don't always get what we want or we don't always get what we think we deserve. And I think that's what Habakkuk is, is dealing with here as God reveals to him what are commonly referred to as the five woe or oracles in the book of Habakkuk. This is God's extended response to Habakkuk, where he's reminding Habakkuk of a universal truth that we need to be reminded of. And I think it's timely for today, th this specific day, this sp specific season of our lives. And that is this. Just because life is not fair doesn't mean that everything will not be made right in the end. And Christians get very short-sighted and begin to live for this life as if it's all important. And everything that matters is going to happen is going to happen right here and right now. And this particular passage, these 15 verses, these five woe oracles that God is going to give to Habakkuk is to remind Habakkuk and the nation of Judah and us by extension that in the end, God does in fact make everything right. And just because what we think is happening isn't fair, isn't right, isn't the way that we would do it, isn't the right response. You know, it's very easy to sit back at a situation and begin to armchair quarterback or begin to second guess every decision that every leader makes ever. If it wasn't possible, we wouldn't have as many major network news anchors as we do right now because this group can say this guy is terrible. That group can say that guy's terrible. This group can say this other person's terrible. And then a fourth group can say they're all terrible and we know what we're talking about. And one thing that is common, and I'm just being <laughs> kind of throwing the gloves off in the introduction tonight. One thing that's common, when those talking heads begin to critique those who are in leadership or pro athletes, the thing that I'm thinking of, I've had to stop watching shows like Sports Center and First Take. And, like, you're not doing it. You can't do it. There's a reason why they're doing it, and you're talking about it on Monday morning. There's a reason why he's coaching on Sunday, and you're talking after they're done. You can't do it. And so sometimes our temptations as Christians is to start to do that to God, like, God, I know better. And we forget. We've got to go back to and remind ourselves I'm not sovereign, I'm not eternal, I'm not omnipotent, I'm not omniscient, I'm not, I'm not a lot of things that God is. And Habakkuk gets reminded of this, and we need to be reminded of it. So we've done two points, kind of the first three sermons, and now to balance it all out and to make up for lost time, we've got five. So point number one, looking back at verses five through eight, Greed brings devastation. And some of you, your pens, those of you note takers, are gonna, your, your pens are going to smoke because we're going to move quickly tonight. Those of you who take notes with your thumbs, uh, get some bandages ready. Here we go. So greed brings about devastation. Here's what happens in this first woe oracle. Look back at verse 6. He says, woe to him who increases what is not his. 
how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? The Babylonians are an extremely prideful group who think that they are awesome because they roll into town and they beat the absolute stuffing out of everybody who's there, take everything that's theirs, and secure themselves as being awesome. And they're greedy. And nothing ever satisfies them. This is what drives them. Their greed drives every decision that they make, every place that they go, every person they come into contact with. What can I get? What does this benefit me? How can we take over here? And what God says to Habakkuk about people who are constantly greedy is that in the end, their very greed makes them become undone. He says in verse 8, Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. In other words, all the people who you thought, man, we're better, we're awesome, we're stealing all their stuff. Metaphorically, God is saying, they're going to come back and plunder you. In other words, you may be on top right now, but one day I'm going to make everything right, and I'm going to plunder you, and you're going to wish, you're going to wish you had not been the way that you are. But again, they're sinful, unregenerate people. I am constantly surprised at the shock that takes place amongst Christians when unsaved, unregenerate people act like unregenerate people. Why are we surprised by this? There's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's no one guarding them. And we're like, I can't believe these people act like this. I often think it's because we've become desensitized. We're spending too much time with little Christianettes sitting around watching Veggie Tales, and I don't know what else you're doing, but maybe uh, eating New Testaments. Um, I don't know. I mean, you just become desensitized to this where you cannot rationalize why is this person acting this way? Habakkuk should have, his response should have been to the Babylonians coming in, no wonder they're going to act this way. They have no knowledge of God. But, if we're not careful, this is the word to the Christian tonight, if we're not careful, the actions of the world begin to infiltrate our lives and we begin to look like and live like and act like Babylonians. If we're not careful, if we don't watch ourselves, Man, we fall into the same trap. I know lots of greedy Christians. Oh, sure, they give to the church. But any opportunity they have to make more money, they take it. Spend time with their family or make more money, they take it. More money. Be at church or make more money. And I understand Jobs are, it's a delicate situation because somebody's going to leave here and be like, David said that those people who work on Wednesday night don't love Jesus. I didn't say that. So don't walk out of here, get off of your phone, listen, and hear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is those who claim to know Christ but love money don't 
know him. Because their love of money drives their life, not their love for Christ. It's an evident sign that we should at least pause and say, I need to check myself and make sure that I'm walking with the Lord. We need to think through our actions. Because our actions, though they may not be driven towards money, can just be whatever I can get and don't have to put in anything in return. I'll just ask you this question tonight. Where might you be taking advantage of others around you? Because I know the money thing, like anytime we talk about getting more money to anybody who's under the age of probably 40, we're like, we have no money. We had money, then we didn't have any money. I had no money, and then I went to college, and I had even less than whatever no money is. I thought I was in debt, and then I went to college, and I'm like, wow. That, so don't think of greed just in terms of just trying to get money. Think of it in terms of, man, you take advantage of people. And, and you're in relationships with people for what you can get out of it. And, and you, you love and are ministering to people until you get what you want, and then boom, you're out. Like, that's the form of greed. And if you're not careful, that will ultimately bring destruction to your life. Number two, we see that greed brings destruction, but number two, we see security flip. Security flip. Do you understand why? Re- look at verse number nine. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. In other words, you have made security the goal. If there is a more anti-Western American passage in the Bible, I'm not sure what it is. These three verses, 9, 10, and 11, because we are obsessed with security. i got to have this security and that security and that security for this security. And you know what? I'm just going to go all out. So just I, I put a couple snipers up on the top of my roof, and I'm paying them a couple hundred dollars a week, and they're keeping my stuff safe. Everything's on lockdown. We got it safe. We got it secured. It's there. And if they get in and get past those people, I got more stuff, and I've got hidden trap walls with stuff in them. Like I remember being at an RA camp, a resident assistant camp, when I went to BBC. They took us to Kansas of all places, which was interesting in and of itself. And we stayed with a guy who worked for the FBI, which was already unnerving. Because the first day we were there, he said two things. Number one, um, one of the days when you have free time, we'll take you over to my range and you can fire all of my FBI-issued firearms. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. I'm okay at that point. And then number two, he said, if you get up in the middle of the night and you're you know, using the restroom, I'm a very light sleeper. And if I hear something, just you might see a red dot flash across your chest. Just stop, freeze, and identify yourself. And I'm like, I can hold it to the morning. And you can get new sheets in the morning. I ain't getting shot at resident assistant camp by an FBI guy. Like, I'm not kidding you. You think I'm joking. Like, ha, that's a pastor story. I kid you not, it was the second thing out of his mouth after we'll take you to the firing range. Like, dude, hey, calm down. We are obsessed with security. We want to feel safe. We want to be safe 
physically. We want to be safe financially. We want to be safe every which way possible. And what the Babylonians had done is they had made safety a god. And verse 11 says, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam will, from the timbers will answer it. This isn't some animated story. It's basically saying your own security will bring about your own destruction because you've made it such a priority. You haven't focused on worshiping the one true and living God. And because of that, he's your only hope of security. The only true security you can have is in Jesus Christ. But because you've made this your goal, it will actually be the thing that destroys you. So security becomes flipped. It goes from being a positive to being a negative. And I think if we're not careful, we begin walking around and God bless us. We are so worried about everything except the fact that we might stand before God tomorrow. We're worried, and, and, and rightfully so. There's nothing wrong with being concerned and taking health and safety precautions. I'm all about that. But I'm watching as people are breaking their necks trying to protect themselves from a pandemic when literally you could get in a car wreck and die. And you're not thinking about the fact that regardless of if you get COVID-19, you get uh, in a car wreck and die, you are uh, murdered, you are you just die in your sleep, you have a massive heart attack, and boom, it's over. Or you just die of simply being old, which is not going to happen to anybody really in this group. But if you die, like you're going to stand before God. And we're so worried about being safe. We've forgotten that being safe in the arms of God is far more important than being safe on this earth. So we got to be real careful. Because if you do not set up your life right now for living in the security of Christ versus living in the security of the world, you will ingrain inevitably in yourselves bad habits that will focus more on being safe here now than in the life to come. So where are you trusting in to secure you tonight you might be like i know christ and i'm gonna be in heaven but i've got press into that reality while taking precautions to be safe there's nothing wrong with doing both but it's when this trumps christ that we get ourselves into trouble because we're focused on the wrong thing number three we have uh in Verses 5 through 8, we see that greed brings destruction. Verses 9 through 11, security is flipped. And then verses 12 through 14, justice is promised. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to, to feed the fire, and the nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here in these three verses, what we see is that those who have built their empire by bloodshed will ultimately see the, the full glory and the wrath of God poured out on them. It will be tempting to think the Babylonians will get away with evil, but the truth is that no one gets away with anything. We're getting to the stage in our lives now it's been kind of cool so jess and her brothers are further ahead on this than we are with my parents but we're getting to the stage of life now that when we get together for holidays 
stories that nobody knew happened start to come out. The stories of people doing things that they may or may not have, should have done. And parents who had no idea that this was happening, no idea that you were doing this or going there or doing these things. And I'm, I'm slowly rolling out that list of stuff to my parents, which is kind of interesting because most of the time my mom is shocked and my dad is not. And then there are occasions where my mom is not shocked and my dad is. I think a lot of times we live in this reality. Sometimes we can pull one over on people. We can fake to be their friend. We can fake to be interested in them. We can fake to, to uh, be serious about something. We can be fake about uh, whatever the situation is. And, and we can kind of snow people over into believing that we're really amazing or that we really are involved or that we're really passionate about something. But in the end, we're not. And we think, man, I'm pretty cunning, I'm pretty crafty, I'm pretty wise, and I'm pretty smart because I am fooling these jokers. The only problem with that is much like Jonah who thought, <laughs> I'll just go the opposite direction that God told me because he can't possibly see where I'm headed, only to read in jo the end of Jonah chapter 1, beginning of jo Jonah chapter 2, that God literally throws a storm at him. Like, you think you're going to sneak away? Just hurl a storm. Just in case you forgot who I am, I'm going to physically hurl a storm at you. We've got to be, and this is the, the woe to the Babylonians, and Habakkuk needs to pay attention here because we sometimes think, man, these people are getting away with stuff all over the place. Let me be real honest in this point. It's very, very tempting sometimes to want to nail you to a wall because I know I've got you dead to rights. I know what you're doing. Even though you'll deny it, and you'll say you're not denying it, you're not doing it, and I will, I can confront you, and I can come across and be like, boom, 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 and you're like, no, that's not me, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And very early in being a college pastor, I would want to do that, and I would do that, and it wouldn't go well, and I remember saying to Jesse, you know what, I'm done with this. On certain things where we know for sure we need to step up and confront people, we will. On other things, we won't have the ability to step up and confront them with solid rock roots, hard and fast evidence. And on those things, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to let the Lord get them. Because if the Lord gets them, it's going to be way worse. So now what I do is at home or in my office, I just pray the Holy Spirit down on people. And not in like a charismatic, like take them up in a chariot of whirlwind, slam them down into the ground, destroy them kind of way. Just like, do you know what they're doing? Not, you don't need my permission, but I'm just suggesting now might be a good time. Just let them have it. Just OT rap. Middle of a college sermon, we're just sitting there, I'm bringing the word, and you just, they're in a pocket over here, just swallow them up. Man, everybody would be at the altar that night. I'm like, man, we had revival down in the college ministry. Greg got swallowed up by God in the middle of the sermon. He's just here and then he's gone. Like, that's what we want. And sometimes that's not what God has in that specific moment. And we've got to trust that his promised justice is better than any justice we can bring right now. And we've got to be very careful because right now we live in a cancel culture. You say the wrong thing, we cancel you. You do the wrong thing, cancel. 
You, you, you breathe the wrong way, you look the wrong way, you dress the wrong way, you say the wrong thing, cancel, cancel, cancel. Because we're righteous. Us and our four Twitter followers will sweep in and destroy you from social media. And we have crushed them. That's the world we live in. And Christians are getting sucked in day after day after day. What you all need to do with those types of people is a simple, I mean, I'm just going to blow your mind tonight. Just a unfriend, unfollow, unlike will make your life so much sweeter and better. You say stupid stuff on my social media, you're gone. I ain't got time for that. You got time for that Jesus fooling, not representing Christ, not filled with the spirit, not representing what it looks like to follow Christ at all type attitude. Goodbye. I ain't got time for that. I look at cute pictures of puppy dogs and PDA tour pros hitting close shots. I ain't got time for your nonsense. It's going to get me all riled up. And then I come in here and I'm all mad at people. We think that we're the justice police. You are not the judge. You are not the jury. And you are not the executioner. And one day you will stand before someone who is all three in one. And what you have to say when you stand before him will be far more important than your outrage on social media or your outrage on a campus. You better buckle in. Those of you who are getting ready to go back to campuses, you think, well, it's going to be life as normal. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, you just, no, you're not right. It's not going to be that way. And you're going to have to settle into the fact that God will make everything right. And we may not get everything right here on earth. We may not. It's difficult to admit. We live in an inequality culture. Everybody wants everybody to be equal. The only problem with that is people are sinful. And I've had to say multiple times, some of you have seen me engage in certain things where I have said, look, we may not get it right this side of heaven, but I'm trusting that God will make everything right one day. So I'm going to do my part. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to be informed. I'm going to engage. I'm going to speak from a Christian worldview that believes in the worth, dignity, and value of people while recognizing this very fact. I am not God, and I will not get it right 100% of the time. But I'm trusting and waiting and resting in his justice that is promised. Number four, look at verse 15. Beware of glory. And you're going to be like, what? Beware of glory? Yes, beware of glory. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city, and of all who dwelt in it. The Babylonians were about themselves and about their own glory and about making everyone around them look foolish to make them look better. And God says, once again, you live for your own glory, you die by your own glory. And your own glory will be used as a judgment against you. And you will be flattened as I pour out 
my wrath on you for living for your own glory. Again, contrast, and this is what so many people are like, don't say things about the culture and the world while you're preaching. Just preach the Bible. The, the thing about preaching the Bible is when we, when we understand God's word, God's word tells us how we can live separately from the culture around us in a way that points other people to Christ because we're living differently. So the world and the culture around us tell us live for your own fame, live for your own glory, put other people down to make yourself look great. That's what the culture in the world tells us. God's word says, no, live for Christ and his glory, his fame, his name, exalt him Take the eyes off of yourself and put them on Christ. And as you do that, those over there will go, wait a minute, you're supposed to be living for your own glory. Why aren't you doing that? Well, because Christ is more important than I am. God is more important than I am. God is worthy of glory than I am not. So beware of glory. Beware of living for your own fame. What is your motivation for being successful? Make much of Christ or make much of self? I want to be an awesome pastor. I want to preach to 2,000 people. I want to be a killer communicator. Why? Because you want people to go, I want to be like Dave Brown. Or is the motivation, I want to be like, I want to be like Christ. I want people to be like Christ. And if I can influence people and push them to be like Jesus, then, then they'll want to follow him. I want to be a killer engineer. I want to be a killer doctor. Well, probably not a killer doctor, just a great doctor. I want to be an amazing doctor. Uh, and I want to be a, a, a good lawyer. Maybe. Uh, and I want to live in this community. I want to impact it. I want to be awesome. I want to make mon- tons of money. I want to drive a Maserati. I want to be amazing. Again, who are you living for? Your glory or God's? You've got to make a decision right now. Right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not a month from now. You've got to make a decision right now whose glory is going to be more important. You're going to be like a Babylonian? Live for your own glory. Make much of me. Or you live for God. Number five, and I'm done. Not only do we need to beware of glory. Boy, it's about to get spicy. And I'm out of time, so probably for some of you it's good. We need to recognize the danger of idols. Look at verse 18. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make new idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, the silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him I wrote in my notes this we shouldn't need to be reminded of the dangers of idol worship yet the Bible is filled with a continual warning against the danger of idols we read all through the Old Testament these this group's worshiping idols that group's worshiping idols I mean for goodness sake we cross the Red Sea, get over to the other side. God goes up, or Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And what do they do while he's up there? Aaron's like, let's build an idol. You know, let's all your gold and your silver. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I give you that? 
We just walked through the Red Sea on dry land. Were you guys not like water, water, dry land, water, water, fish. We just walked and we're going to now build an image and bow down and worship a, a golden calf. I mean, I got to be real honest with you. I, I, I'm from Iowa. I love farm life as much as the next person. I've never once looked at a calf or a cow and said, you know what? Let's worship him. He moves. He chews. Makes sense. All right. Build me one of those in gold. We look at the, this is what happens. Christians for hundreds of years look in the Old Testament and go, look at these fools. Look at these fools. Worshiping their golden calves and their little stone-made idols. What a bunch of morons. While they gorge themselves on reality television. While they sit at the altar of the touchdown and the home run. While they worship the walkways with little stars in the pavement. While they wonder, who will marry who? And who will be with who? And oh my gosh, they're adopting a baby? It's comical. The amount of time we look in the Old Testament and go, these guys are morons. They worship inanimate objects while our eyeballs pop out of their sockets from watching hundreds of hours of mindless television and constantly clicking, yes, I am still watching. Yes, I am still watching. Now, get, don't get me wrong. I always feel like i got to qualify this. I don't know why. Because everybody gets all angry. They're like, you're just saying we can't have fun? No, I'm not saying that. But what do you worship? What takes first priority? And I've run to this quote probably too much, probably at this point should just let Tim Keller say it, but good things become bad things when good things become God things. When we start to allow things to creep into places where they do not belong and we begin to worship them, if we're not careful, we scoff, we laugh, we make jokes, we say, look at these guys worshiping their false idols. All the while, much like Jesus said, beware those of you who are looking at your brother to take the splinter out of his eye while you have a wood beam in yours. You're like, knocking people around. Look at these guys, they're idiots. Bam, bam, bam. We've got to be very careful. And you notice I'm not going to give you a list tonight of what I think your idols might be. Because some of you will hear me go through that list and go, I'm off the hook. None of what he said is on that list. So I must be okay. Once again, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of his word, will convict you of where those idols might be. But if we're not careful, the, the, the title of the sermon tonight was No One Escapes. If we're not careful, we begin to live our lives thinking we're going to skate by because we're Christ followers. All the while, we traipse and walk towards heaven 
and we look like to the world around us, Babylonians. And we got to ask ourselves the question, if we continue to live in that lifestyle, how can we have any security that we are, in fact, Christians and not Babylonians? We need to evaluate our lives and make sure. Uh, John talks about this often in First John. Evaluate yourself to make sure you are in the kingdom of God. Do you desire the things of God or the things of this earth? We may just need to, to pause here tonight and just do a little bit of a heart check. Let's pray together. Father.